Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are visiting today with Dean Slider, and he wrote a book called Fear Less, and I love that title, but I have to be honest, I didn't want to read another book about fear and anxiety and anger and addiction, because so many of those books make me feel depressed. They make me want to become a, you know, an addict. They bring on anxiety. They make me mad. They actually evoke the very feelings these books are designed to prevent and i called linda in new york city when i got a copy of this from the publicist and i said linda you got to read this book it's funny it's uplifting it's insightful and it it, it i gotta tell you i wish you guys could see this I have lots of highlights. I have lots of little uh, tabs in here for things that I'm going to incorporate not only in my family, but I'm also going to incorporate in my professional career because it's very insightful. And it was so much more beyond um, the concept of fear. So the book is called Fearless. The author is with us today. His name is Dean Slider. And Linda, you and I know a little bit about fear. I think everybody knows not a little bit about fear, but a lot about fear. I mean, all of all of the things um, that we worry about are, are rooted in fear. And and I'm, what I'm learning about fear is fear is something that we're projecting into the future. It's usually not immediate into this moment, but it's something we're worried about tomorrow or next month or next year. And, you know, it's all these things we do to ourselves because nobody else is doing it to us. We're doing it ourselves. And so if we have a way to not do that, what a great life it would be. It would be such so, so much more joyous. And so I'm, I'm all in. I, can't, I didn't get the book yet, but I can't wait to read it. Well, and Linda, you brought up to me a statement yesterday that I've been chewing on for like at least 24 hours, that, that babies are born with a fear of loud noises and a fear of falling. And that's it. And then everything else is acquired in our lifetime. So I'm going to bring on Dean to join in our conversation because everybody faces fear. And fear can be a motivator or fear can absolutely stop us dead in our tracks. Hi, it's great to be here. So what motivated you to write a book about fear, especially because your your background really is more meditation. It's more, you know, I wouldn't classify you as a fear expert. <laughs> That's why I would, but I wouldn't. Right, <laughs> right. And, and um, I, I'm not a fear expert in the sense that uh, I most of my life I've been a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I've been very fortunate in my life. Not a whole lot of bad things have happened to me. A few extremely challenging things have happened. Um, But more and more, I started to realize that uh, fear, anxiety, anger, addiction are all around us. That the people, I've been a, a meditation teacher all over the country really since. Uh, it's starting to get embarrassing to say I've been doing this since 1970, um, since before you were born, I'm sure. And, um, um, and you know, one of my teachers said early on, you know, when you set yourself up as a teacher of meditation, you're inviting stressed people to come to you. And I've been especially seeing that in the last few years, this word anxiety, I keep hearing it over and over, especially from the millennials. Um, I had a conversation with a a young man a few months ago who came to our, uh, we're based in Santa Monica and we we have Tuesday night uh, meditation sessions open to everyone every other week. And he came to one of our sessions and we went out for some coffee a day or two later. And I said, what is it with uh, your generation, the millennials? He said, we don't know who we are. We don't know what it's all about. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And he shrugged and he said, so we write apps. (laughs) And it was so sad, you know. So that's going on. And then 
Um, in the middle of my writing the book, the the election of November 2016 happened, and whatever your politics are, you know, um, we've got to say there's been a whole lot of anxiety in the country and in the globe since that night. Uh, it's been a white knuckle ride for a lot of people. They're just lining up at the doors of the therapists. So it just, and that really, coming in the middle of my writing process, I said, okay, this is, I'm, I'm on the right track here. This is the stuff that's in the drinking water. Well, and I think one of the things, you know, and Linda, you can ex you can share this from your experience growing up in Toronto. I grew up outside of Buffalo, and for a long time, we didn't have television. We had then we got a television, and we had like Sault Ste. Marie and two stations that went off at midnight. And then you know we didn't have a telephone um, like the kids have today in this constant barrage of of media messages and you know being in a small town you only cared about what happened in your small town and all of a sudden now we're learning what's happening some atrocity here some terrible thing there in an effort to fill up these 24-hour news stations and news that has to play at the gas pump i mean really do i really need to watch really? the news when i'm pumping yeah. gas i mean Linda, the, the transference of negative information that feels important is 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 at a ridiculous level and as a matter of fact uh there's a, a wonderful quote uh, that I have in the book here from a letter from C.S. Lewis, the great uh, Christian uh, essayist and the, the writer of the Narnia Chronicles. And this was in a personal letter to a friend. And it was written in 1946 when they'd just gone through the horrors of the Second World War. And now we're seeing the new horrors of the nuclear age. Mm -hmm. And he wrote to his friend, one mustn't assume burdens that God does not lay upon us. It is one of the evils of rapid diffusion of news that the sorrows of all the world come to us every morning. I think each village was meant to feel pity for its own sick and poor, whom it can help, and I doubt if it is the duty of any private person to fix his mind on ills which he cannot help. This may even become an escape from the works of charity we really can do to those we know. And, of course, this is even more so in the age of instant news, in the age of Facebook, and, and you, you, we have to know about the horrible things going on in every little village all over the world, and we can, it's, it's all too easy to feel that we're doing something about it by, you know, writing noble soliloquies on Facebook. <laughs> So, so the question, and, and often people say, oh, you're a meditation teacher, you're just about tranquilizing yourself and becoming apathetic about uh, what's going on in the world. But it's quite the opposite. It's about becoming um, tuned in, becoming clearer to what can I do to, what is it that I can do that will help other people and help myself, and what will simply add to the suffering, starting with myself. Jane, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because it's a really good time to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor today is Talkspace. And for you guys that are listening at home or you're on your computer or on your phone, go to Talkspace.com and use the promo code MILITARYMOM because you'll get $100 off when you use the code MILITARYMOM at Talkspace.com. And, you know, we're talking today with Dean Sluter, the author of Fearless. And we're talking about managing fear, handling fear, getting back to normal after, you know, we've had a lot of fear in our world. And, you know, the world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up again in person. But, you know, getting back to normal takes time. And I know that I've had to prioritize my own mental health during this time because I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling overwhelmed with the stops and the starts. And what I love about Talkspace is they help me feel not so alone. And, you know, I've tried to confide in my friends, but they're also feeling overwhelmed. So they can't really give to me. And to be truthful, I can't give to them. And I don't have the advice, the practical advice that I need. And I don't have the bandwidth to give them the attention they need. So it kind of goes both ways. And I'm so glad that I reached out to my therapist. And you guys will love, love, love Talkspace. And Talkspace is so great because whether you're a parent, a student, a millennium, or just somebody having a hard 
day, Talkspace can provide the support to help you feel better with a single message. And Talkspace offers individual and couples therapy in addition to medication prescription services. I mean, that is so great. You can set goals with your therapist. That's what I did. And they can help you make sure you're really progressing. I had some goals for my fitness, for my health, for my single parent, getting one kid off to college and, you know, handling my 80-something-year-old dad in the house plus my other kid. I mean, it's a lot. And Talkspace therapists help me develop tools to cope in these difficult times, these extraordinary times. So I want you guys to start feeling better with a single message and match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code MILITARYMOM. That's $100 off when you use the code MILITARYMOM at Talkspace. Now, we're talking today with Dean Sluter, and he's the author of a book called Fearless. And he's talking about how we can add to our own suffering. And if you think you might be adding to your own suffering, first of all, you know, go to Talkspace.com and use the code MILITARYMOM to get $100 off your first month. But let's not add to our own suffering. And Dean, you wrote a whole chapter about this because we all add to our own suffering in ways that we can't even imagine. And in fact, this is in a chapter titled, Would It Help? So you may have seen, if you saw the uh, wonderful film um, in, I think, 2015 called Bridge of Spies, uh, it was a Steven Spielberg film uh, starring um, Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance about um, Rudolf Abel, the Soviet spy who was captured in New York City in the, at the height of the Cold War. And he's, he's put on trial and... <laughs> Fortunately for him, Tom Hanks is his lawyer. Uh, and Tom Hanks comes in for the first meeting with him and he says, you know, uh, the Americans and the Soviets both would love to see you in the electric chair. And Rudolf Abel, the spy, thinks about it for a moment. He kind of shrugs and he quietly says, okay. And Tom Hanks says, you don't seem upset. And he considers that and he says, would it help? So so there's there's the mantra right there. Would it help? You know, I also cite uh, one of my very favorite favorite quotes. If I ever got a tattoo, this this would possibly be my tattoo. It's it's a quote from a sixth century Buddhist sage named Shantideva, where he Mm -hmm. says, if there's a solution to the problem, what's the use of worrying? If there's no solution to the problem, what's the use of worrying? Right. Or in short, would it help? And sometimes just these, see, this is why it's not just a matter of meditation. And I do go very, as you know, in the book, very deeply into meditation and the most effective way to meditate, which turns out to be effortlessly, just allowing yourself to be pulled into the silence rather than trying to push, which is counterproductive. So I go very deep into that. But I also give these things that are sometimes just that little bit of perspective. Oh, would it help? If, you know, if what's the use of worrying? And you realize you're doing this stuff that you've been choosing to do it so you can choose to stop doing it. Yes. Yes. Well, and I, I just want to jump in about the meditation thing, because after doing hundreds of hours of shows in spirituality and all different types of disciplines, you know, I got so upset over trying to figure out the right way to meditate because everybody had the right the right way and the right mantra and the right way you needed to sit and the right way you need, you couldn't stand, you couldn't walk. And then I have like a lot of energy. So I had trouble sitting still mm-hmm. and, you know, all this direction, which was in, in designed, you know, to help us or designed to sell product who, who knows, um, <laughs> yeah. came down so simple. That's why I called Linda. I called her up and I said, you're going to love this guy. It's like, you don't need to buy all this stuff. You don't need to do all this stuff. You don't need to sit and stand and, you know, do whatever. It's it's natural and organic. So we're visiting today with Dean Slider. Now, the book he wrote is called Fearless, 
Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. Now, if you want a copy of this, you can go or find out more about the book that we're talking about today, fearlessbook.net. That's fearlessbook.net. And I need to say that no uh, proceeds were given for today's show for us to endorse this book. This was something that came across my desk, and I really liked it. And I got to tell you, it's funny, it's engaging, it's uplifting. It's not at all what you would expect about a, a book about fear. So we're gonna, let's talk about meditation because one of the things that I found as I, I took my news fast and my TV fast and I, I made a concerted effort a couple of years ago to watch only funny, uplifting TV. So I watch Frasier, I watch reruns of Friends, I'll watch some new comedy show as long as it's not negative and hurtful comedy. And I started meditating. And, you know, you guys can go listen to old shows to chronic my epic failure in meditating until I finally figured out what worked for me. But I'd like to talk to Linda about her first meditation experience. Well, my first meditation experience was was pretty interesting. I ha- it was in the 70s. I think I re- I remember seeing the Maharishi on I think Merv Griffin, and I and he was sitting there, you know, in a lotus position, and he was all wise and you know in his white robes. And I said, Oh my God, I think that I need to do this. And then lo and behold, he came to New York to teach a weekend meditation seminar. So I said, I've got to go to this. My friends on Wall Street thought I had had gone over the deep end, but I said, no, I'm going to go do this. So I went, and we had the whole ritual and with the flower, and you got your mantra, which was so sacred, and I was so excited. And so after, after the day, I ran home to practice my meditation, and I got home, and I locked myself in the bedroom, and then... I came out and I was crying and and my husband said, what's the matter? I said, I forgot my mantra. I said, I'll never be able to meditate. And it's like this big secret thing. No one, you know, they won't be. He said, I'll get you your mantra. So we, I don't know how we done. We called up and they whispered my mantra. On the, on the over the telephone so that I could go and do it. So that was my first meditation experience with the Maharishi. Uh, the Maharishi. <laughs> wow! You you know that in the in the film Annie Hall, Jeff Goldblum appears at a party and he has one line. He's he's on the telephone and he says, uh, "I forgot my mantra." <laughs> yeah, it was devastating, you know. But um, I, I, I've never forgotten it since it was whispered over the telephone. And I do right. use it on occasion. But mm-hmm. I'm not the greatest meditator in the world. And I'm, I'm kind of in your camp. I have to make it simple. If I can just sit there and just focus on my breathing and whatever happens, happens, I'm okay. You know, one of the things that I talk about in the, the book's meditation section is what I call on-ramps. Mm-hmm. On ramps to meditation, which can be, as you say, putting the attention. I don't even like to say focus on the breathing because that sounds like too much work. I'm way too lazy for that. So I just say rest the attention on the breathing or rest the attention on some object uh, in the room or rest the attention uh, on a, a, a sound like the mantra uh, could be anything and but then we just use that transitionally because we've been running around town right you know doing thousands of things so now we just do one thing for a few minutes rest the attention in this one thing but then let that go you know, the whole point of the on-ramp is you get on it to get off it, to get into the express lane of where you're not really doing anything at all. You're just being. And in fact, the the big uh, confusion that most people have about meditation is they're trying to make the mind settle down. Now, that's a contradiction in terms, because if you're trying to make the mind settle down, that trying itself is an unsettled situation. So the the section, that section of the book is called Settling Happens. Instead, we just maybe take some on-ramp for a few minutes and then just be and allow the mind to settle on its own terms, in its own time, in its own way. It's none of our business. It's, It's just realizing I'm not in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. I'm along for the ride. And as a matter 
and, and let me just mention yeah. that on my on my website, um, I have a page of uh, guided meditation audio tracks, and people can stream them completely for free because it may sound like wait, wait that sounds too simple. How can I just be? So in those those audio tracks, I guide you in doing that. I'm kind of there as the training wheels, and then you know do it that way a few times, and then you'll have it. Also, let me mention that the for people who are listening live, uh, the book is actually being published on March 20th, uh, but you can pre-order it now through Amazon or go to, to my website, fearlessbook.net, and, and pre-order it so, so you'll get it on publication day. I just don't want people to be disappointed that they can't have it tomorrow. You can read Chapter 1 on my website, or you can do that now. Wonderful, wonderful. And, I, you know, I want to support with that, you know, the, the guided meditation, because when I was a, a couple years ago, I had a lot of trauma in my life. I had some real difficult challenges with 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 death, with divorce, with with, a, you know, not my addiction, somebody else's addiction, but but it affected me and my kids. And I had so much fear. And so I actually had to rely on guided meditations because that could get at least me from like above my head to like my eyebrows, like of, of the crazy thoughts that kept coming in. It brought my whatever anxiety, whatever it was down. And it took me listening to these guided meditations every night. I, I, I used them like a vitamin, like you take your vitamin in the morning. I would listen to these guided meditations at night for 45 minutes to kind of calm my nerves, retrain my brain to stop because when you come out of a trauma situation, you have these unbidden thoughts that come that are triggered, and you're not even aware of it till they're all swimming around in your head. So here I was trying to work this down, but I kept trying to sit still and just do it the way all these experts were saying, and it was a huge failure. So to start with the guided meditation, at least for me, allowed me now, years later, I can sit quietly and do that. But I couldn't do that at that point. So I think it's about doing what works for you, especially when you're in the grip of fear. I'm going to go over to Linda in New York. Yeah, no, I would like to talk more about the fear because the book is called Fearless and we all want to be fearless. Um, and I want to ask you, Sandra, what you said you love this book. I want to ask you what you like most about this book. Okay, I like, there's a couple things that I really liked about this book. Number one, I liked the chapterlets. I liked that they were little baby chapters because for me, a single full-time working mom, to sit down and read a 50-page chapter makes me want to slit my wrists. So I can just take a chapterlet, which is like eight or ten pages, and then the other thing I really liked about it, it was one high-concept per chapterlet. So there was one point that he was making, the title matched the point, so I know what the chapter was about, which in a lot of books they don't. You read a whole chapter and you go, you threw a bunch of stuff at me, and I don't really know what to focus on or what to do with it, so it becomes noise and I throw it away. So the idea that the title matched the, the high concept of the chapterlet, and then the other thing that I found was it was very simple to read. There was a lot of white space. And I'm not saying this as a beginner book by any means, but it allowed me uh, to take a breath while I was reading what I was absorbing. And he walked us through these guided meditations. And for me, I hear words in my head. So to read them and absorb them and hear them in my head, allowed me to absorb and acquire this information and actually use it. It's too, too, um, too many of these books are, are just, they're just not effective. And I thought this was really effective. And, and there's a whole section in here about resting bliss face, which if anybody knows what <laughs> resting bitch face is, like if you're under the age of maybe 40, you'll know what resting bitch face is. It's these, it's their memes that are around the internet and they take pictures of celebrities and, you know, God bless them. They're photographed all the time, but every once in a while they're photographed like making a bored face or making a snotty face. And so it made me aware of my own resting bitch face <laughs> and what a difference the resting bliss face could be. And here's a quote from um, the, the Vietnamese Zen master, and I'm not going to pronounce his name. I'm going to let the Dean pronounce his name. Thich Nhat Hanh. 
There we go. Sometimes your joy is the source of your smile. But sometimes your smile can be the source of your joy. And I chewed on that for days. And I highlighted a couple other things in here. And my favorite line is you get an instant squirt of endorphins, which produce general positivity. So you fear less, anger less, crave more, um, crave less, sorry, and so forth. And that's just from a smile. <laughs> and and by the way, that um, understanding goes all the way back to Charles Darwin. He first put forth what he called the facial feedback hypothesis, which is a fancy way of saying sometimes the smile can be a source of your joy. So, But what I tell people about all this stuff throughout the, the whole book and through all my teaching uh, is, I, I quote my favorite words from the Buddha, which is, come and see. In other words, check it out, scientific method, see what works for you, not come and believe, not come and hope, not come and theorize, do something, see if it works. So um, I give a couple of strategies for smiling in a way that's authentic, because when you just try to plaster it on your face, you know, it can be, it can be weird. And, and my favorite way, personally, is we were talking before about mantras. Here's my favorite mantra which is, wee! Oh, that made me laugh out loud like a lunatic in a public place. You said it's impossible to be whatever, depressed or depressed. sad, when you make the sound, wee! Yes. Okay, ready? Let's do it. Oh, and you have to, along with the mantra is the mudra, the proper hand position, which is throwing your hands up. Like, like yeah. There. So, so let's do it one more time. One, two, three. Now try to be depressed. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you, you, you can't do it. So this is the working mantra of, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be married to a wonderful woman. And uh, this is the working mantra of our marriage. Like, honey, the toilet is stopped up again. <laughs> and then you, you know, call the plumber, or get the plunger, or whatever. It doesn't mean you become apathetic and let the toilet run over. The website you want to go to is fearlessbook.net. You also want to get a copy of this book, Fearless Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. But I got to tell you, this is not your typical, you know, self help book. It's funny, it's light, it's insightful. And um, just make the sound we and go buy it. So, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask Dean if he was doing any work with our veterans. Uh, I know David Lynch is very big into the, into doing that, um, especially here in New York. And it's apparently the results have been really, really terrific. And these these men and women that are coming back need it so much because they've seen so much and there's there's so much trauma and fear going on inside of them. Um, so I was just questioning: Have you worked with this group of people? Yeah, I'm very much aware of the, the work that the Lynch Foundation has been doing. A couple of my actually oldest teaching, meditation teaching buddies going back to the 70s uh, are working closely with David. Uh, I'm not doing anything, um, you know, uh, in an organized way for veterans per se, but what I do is uh, I offer... Uh, Tuesday night meditation here in Santa Monica every other week, which is open to everyone, uh, and it's it's completely for free. So if you're uh, in the Los Angeles area, by all means, check out my website, get the information, and, and come on down. And all kinds of people come. Um, we get we get people here who work in the entertainment industry. We get people who are um, who are addicts in recovery and sometimes there's overlap between those two groups um, yeah those are not mutually exclusive groups right. we, we get we get uh, veterans and yeah the you know um, it really really is PTSD uh, it, 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 it's it's the medicine for that um, let me tell you a quick story which is in the book about um, addiction. Uh, because a number of the local people in the recovery community have sort of discovered our meditation sessions and started bringing their uh, friends, their buddies in sobriety. And um, one night a few months ago, a young girl, maybe about 20, uh, came to the session, sat quietly, did the meditation, 
left, didn't say anything, came back two weeks later, did it again. And at the end of the second session, she was about to go out the door, and she very quietly pulled me over. She said, I just wanted to tell you, I'm a heroin addict. I've been in recovery for six months. The meditation tonight was so deep and blissful and healing. I didn't think I could ever feel like that again in this lifetime without drugs. And, you know, I hear things like that. First of all, I, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> and and uh, secondly, it's just such an affirmation that, yes, this is that this is what the sages, the enlightened sages have been saying for thousands of years, that the deep level of healing. You know, if you drive around L.A. and probably most major cities, you can usually tell where the uh, 12 step meetings take place because you see the people out on the sidewalk out on break smoking cigarettes yes which is you know seems to be the the drug of choice for people on the 12-step program and they, they most of them acknowledge that they laugh about it but is if you look at the numbers you know people are so upset about the opioid crisis which is obviously a crisis but cigarettes kill in this country approximately 10 times as many people as opioids mm-hmm. so to me, that's an indication of, okay, tackling one addiction at a time, that, that's a big order. I understand that. But the fact that the, the cigarette addiction is still there, to me, is an indication that the deep healing, the deep root problem has not been addressed. And we know how to address it. The sages have been telling us that for thousands of years, how to address it. And it's simply to sink into that silence, which is already in you, which already has been your the core of your being all along. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you, not could be someday if you're good, not will be up in a cloud after you die. The Buddha said nirvana is within you, more, you know, slightly different language. But they all said it's right there. It is your own nature. And once someone shows you how to just, just you know, r- relax a little bit and take that first step inward and then, oh, it's just because we're automatically attracted to it. We're just pulled in automatically. And and this is why, by the way, um, I found that I'm able to teach this to all kinds of people. You know, I do workshops all over the U.S. I don't like that word workshop because it's not work. It should be a playground, I guess. Right, um, that point you make in your book, that's another point. I'm just going to jump in here and, and tell my point. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned this girl or guy, I don't know, in your book that came to you. And I could see like 20 of my friends in this person. I'm working up to 45 minutes meditation. Right. right. Because it's, you know, first of all, you made the concept that it shouldn't be work and you shouldn't have to work up to it. But, you know, yoga and meditation, especially in L.A., it's competitive. You know, and you see, you know, you're in a yoga class and you'll see the one with the eye open, you know, are you bending right. over farther than I am? And, right, right, right. you know, it's the same thing in meditation, but you called it, you called a spade a spade. This is not supposed to be work. It's not supposed to be hard. Yeah. And it's not about sitting in your picture perfect yogic posture because no one's taking pictures. No one cares about it. No one's giving you a grade except yourself. And when you stop giving yourself a grade, it's such a relief. Mm-hmm. And when you stop trying to work up from 40 minutes to 45 minutes, I tell people, throw the oh, you got it. Watch my throw the damn clock out of your meditation space. Just, you know, if you need to set an little alarm so because you have to get to work, have to get to school, that's fine. Set a quiet alarm on your phone or something. But otherwise, for you know, people say, how long should I meditate? I say, well, how long do you walk on the beach with the one you love? How long do you put on your headphones and listen to your favorite music? Right. But what, what those things have in common is that we enjoy them we we right enjoy we we sink into joy and and it seems as if time isn't there yes that's the spirit in which we approach meditation natural meditation which by the way is the the title of my last book natural meditation natural is the key but i do find like you know i am a single mom i do have young children i do care for my 84 year old dad so i have a lot of responsibility in the morning and i will tell you that 
I do set my timer on my phone because I have a lot of other obligations in the morning. Because I, I, I could sit in meditation for 25 minutes and nobody gets breakfast, nobody gets to school. Right. Um, right. But I do find there seems to be a magic around the 10-minute mark. And I don't know if there's any physical reason for that. But if I can just get a minimum of 10 minutes or... You know, five is okay, but it takes me about 10 minutes to settle down. It's, it takes me a couple minutes just to get settled to settle down, you know, because I'm yeah. going at such a pace. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I want people to know, it's not like you just flick a light switch and all of a sudden you're like in meditation land. Like for me, I need to sit down. I need to take a couple breaths. Sometimes I have my cup of tea and I just go, oh. Right. Until I can even get into that point. Yeah, and that's largely, it's it's the body settling down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that'll be different for different people. Some people will, might be in, um, you know, my wife and I have a tradition. When we sit down to a meal, we close our eyes for a moment. And we've both been meditating for a lot of years. In fact, we met on a silent meditation retreat. Oh, wow. And when... Uh, and I close my eyes for that moment uh, before the meal, and it's like, oh, yeah, right here, right here. Um, but, you know, I'm on the varsity team. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I've been doing this since, since the last millennium. Uh, but, and, and the whole idea is eventually you don't even have to close your eyes. More and more you realize, oh, that, you know, why should you have to sit and close your eyes in order to experience what you are in your deepest core. Just, you know, more and more what happens is you, you come to recognize, you get that taste of that silence. In, in fact, I sometimes compare it to, you know, in the old prison movies, when the, when the prisoner escapes and um, the, uh, uh, they, get the, they bring the hounds in, they're going to have the hounds go search for the prisoner. So what they do is they take, by the way, my wife tells me not to use this metaphor. She says it's gross, but... She, she, she ain't here right now. So what they do is they take the, the prisoner, the escaped convict's smelly sock and give it to the hounds to smell. And then they set the hounds loose and they go, they go running across the field and the river and, the, and, they, and they find them. So in a sense, meditation is like having that concentrated, you know, couple of minutes a day of getting the scent. And then more and more as you go running across the fields of your busyness and taking care of your children and your parents and your work and all that, more and more you're picking up the scent of that silence running through everything you do. You're, you're anchored in that no matter how busy you are, no matter how challenging your life is. Well, it shows you what to seek. Like in the beginning, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to feel or experience. And then, you know, it was like when you get a massage and they hit that spot and you're like, ooh. And then you're like, oh, that feels really good. And you relax. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it kind of goes deeper and deeper. That's kind of, you know, at least what my experience has been. Linda, you have a question. Yeah. um, uh, Dean, Sandra and I both have been on this quest for many years now, me longer than than she, but um, of higher consciousness. And I think we're hearing that a lot more these days um, than we ever have before, which is a very good thing. And And meditation can take you to that place of higher consciousness within you where the answers come. And you get when you get out of your head and open up your heart, I think magic happens. But it's not something that you can you, you can imagine until you experience it. Yes, I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, and you know, there, there's there's different kinds of language we can use for these things. And some people will very much relate to language like magic happens. And I I might use that language with some people. When I give a workshop for corporate CEOs, I might not use a word like magic so much. I might say clarity. Mm -hmm. Because the words words don't matter except for using words that people can relate to and and that will inspire them to do the practice. And then they get the experience, as the Buddha said, come and see. And they go, right, that. That that thing, um, and and but but Linda, you're absolutely right. For the most part, people are so caught up in their own thoughts 
that they don't see the simple reality that's in front of them. It's as if they're looking at the world through a window that's had a lot of graffiti spray painted on it, and they're mixing that up with the world. Fun and enjoyable. I mean, that's what we're here for, isn't it? The book is called Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction by Dean Slider. You can find out more about the book on fearlessbook.net. Now, Dean, we had to cut you off at commercial break. I want to give you a chance to finish your thought. Right. We were talking about the way people tend to see the world through the overlay of their own thoughts. And one fascinating piece of research, which I cite in the book, is that they had people look at photographs of men. And some of the men were Caucasian, some of the men were African-American. And they asked the people who looked at the photos to estimate the, the height and weight of each person. And what they found was that consistently, the, the people judging the photos, if the, if the person in the photo was black, they thought he was bigger and heavier than the white person who was exactly the same size and weight. And they found that that was true whether the person judging the photos himself or herself was black or white. Now, it seems to me that this has something to do with a lot of the tragic encounters that, that we keep having in the cities of, of African-American unarmed people being, um, you know, in some cases shot and terrible things being done to them by police. And it's coming back again to, to fear that the, at least part of the situation is that the cops are scared but part of the problem is that they don't have the, the clarity to see, at, like all of us to some degree, not having the clarity to see what's in front of you because you mix it up with your thoughts. And one exercise, one chapter in the book is titled, Drop Your Thoughts. This is one of my favorite exercises. It's so simple, which is you just, if you want, you can clap your hands in front of your eyes. Just go, and for five seconds, just drop your thoughts. Just drop. They, it doesn't mean you have to. Your mind has to go blank. You, the thoughts don't have to go away. Just relax your grip on them. Just it's like the the motor can still be running. You just disengage the clutch, and just and you do that a, a few times a day or a bunch of times a day, and then fine. Five seconds, then it all comes back. Uh, but every time you do that. The thoughts are losing some of their grip on you. They're losing some of their power over you. They're punching little holes in that power. Go, Linda. Here's something else that I'm, I'm doing these days, too. Um, I have a thought, and we all have this mind chatter, and the mind chatter makes no sense at all. And if you, if you just stop to listen to it, you'd see it's just, it's, it's, crazy. Um, and so when I have a thought, I'm saying, where's this thought coming from? Is this an ego-based thought or is this a heart-based thought? And most of the time, anything that's coming on your head that makes no sense is ego-based. And then I can dismiss it easily because I know it's it, it doesn't hold much much weight because it's, it's coming from my ego, which really doesn't hold much weight at all. Yep. So I, I kind of like separate them and I say, does this mean something, or is it is it just my ego acting up because it, it wants to show me that it's in charge? Right. Yeah. And that that's one way to do it. One way to kind of see through the thoughts. Um, we know that trying to push away the thoughts or suppress the thoughts doesn't work. Anyone who's tried to meditate in a, in a style of of suppressing thoughts, you know, has discovered uh, that perhaps painfully that it doesn't work. So it's about seeing through them. My favorite way is to just say, you know what? They're just thoughts. Thoughts are just thoughts. They're like, it, it's like the, I, I like your use of the word chatter. It's like the chatter at the other tables in the restaurant. You can be sitting there at your table having a nice conversation with your, your, your friend, and the fact that all those conversations are going on at the 49 tables around you, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter because you're not engaging with them. Now, if suddenly you decide that that's a problem and you go around trying to shush the people at the other 49 tables, then that's how most people try to meditate. 
<laughs> and it and it doesn't work. And it's how most people try to suppress the the thoughts that they find, uh, you know, afflictive or bothersome during the day. That doesn't work. But if you just go, you know, I've lived for 33 years in New Jersey, and we have a wonderful mantra in New Jersey, which is, you may have learned this one from The Sopranos, forget about it. <laughs> Forget about it. Forget right? about it. So just forget about it. You can clap. You can say forget about it. You can clap your hands in front of your eyes for five seconds. Just drop it all. Drop it. Drop it again. The thoughts are just thoughts. Right. Sometimes I refer to them as clouds. You know, they're just going to pass by. And you know what? I've learned a lot from my from my um, from my dog Lucy as well because you know they are so focused on something and then you change it and they're. They, they forget what they're just thinking and they're focused on the new thing. So if you change that and focus on this new thing, whatever it is that you want to focus on that's more beneficial than, than mind chatter, it works. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, uh, believe me, the, 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 the dog is the guru. <laughs> you, take, you take the dog for the walk. You you want to know about being here now, being present. You take your, your dog for a walk and, okay, now it's rock. Now it's squirrel. Now, and, and, and now it's squirrel, the rock is, is gone. I actually have a chapter in the book uh, called The Sweetest Dog in the World because you may have noticed that, that dogs are, they're the best listeners. And it's a, it's a kind of meditative exercise, which we won't go through the whole thing right now, but where you sit and mentally close your eyes and you pour out whatever the thing is that you're caught up in, whatever your anxiety or your anger, whatever your, your story is. Uh, my, my mother would say, whatever, your, your whole mishigas, and you just, <laughs> you just pour it out and, and just let that sweet, dog just absorb it through his or her sweet sweet doggy eyes into his or her sweet sweet doggy heart and they're just evaporated into space oh man they're the best shrinks in the world yeah, absolutely and I, I, you know, we're talking about heart open before, and um, she has been very, very big uh, in helping me be heart open because you can't have a, a dog that you love and, and and not have that affect your heart. I saw a wonderful bumper sticker once that said, "Dear Lord, please make me the person my dog thinks I am." <laughs> yes, yeah, we're we're definitely dog people here. <laughs> yes. Well, and I've, I've tried to adopt that, you know, the best dog ever. You know, I think of Sally, my golden shepherd. She's golden retriever, German shepherd. And she will just sit at me with these eyes and listen no matter what I say. And then she comes and gives me a hug. And I, I really, that's another one of those, you know, things that I've adopted to say, you know, when you're with the people you love, adopting like you know for me to be my golden retriever and just sit there and listen you know thoughts are just thoughts some of those thoughts are expressed out loud it doesn't mean they're written in stone just yes, because yes. somebody said it yes and and especially when you're with a friend or a loved one who is going through a, a, a difficult time and they're pouring out their troubles to you and often in that situation, we'll tend to, as we're sitting there, it's like, okay, I got to think of something wise to say. I have to think of something helpful to say. And sometimes the best gift that you can give is don't try to think of anything. Just be the dog, be the therapy dog, be that wide open, loving space. Just look at them with those those eyes of love and absorb it into your heart and and just evaporate it out into space. Um, there's actually, you know, the, I, I studied for a long time with. The Tibetan lamas, and and they have some very fancy um, practices that are essentially that's what it comes down to. Absorbing, they do it with fancy visualizations where you see the other person's problems as like hot, smelly, noxious smoke coming out of them, and you absorb it into their heart and turn it into pure white light. Um, uh, we can do all these things. So, so meditation, you know, unlike the stereotype, it's not some kind of emotionally selfish thing. One of my teachers once said, for the light bulb to light up the room, it first has to be illuminated within itself. And and my parents were political activists, and they always had friends over at the house having political meetings about how they were going to change the world and, and bring peace to the world. And it was so idealistic, but I could see that a lot of them, they didn't have peace within themselves. And, and pretty at a pretty young age, I started to realize this is part of what put me on my quest. Okay, i got to find this peace within myself for me to 
kind of fulfill what my parents are teaching me to do here, which is to help the world. Yeah. If everybody just worked, worked on themselves and found that peace inside of them, um, it, it just transfers out because you you know the people that are around you are affected by you, and if it's if it's good and it's it's heart open, it's yep. it's going to spread. And yep. you know we won't we wouldn't find ourselves in the in some of the messes that we are today if everybody would just focus on themselves to do the best they can do for themselves. Yep. Charity begins at home. Yeah, and let things go. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, just because somebody posts it in social media and they said it doesn't mean we have to respond, doesn't mean we have to have a huge campaign, doesn't mean you need to agree with me every minute of the day. You know, some days we just say stupid things. Yep. <laughs> yep. I know I do. <laughs> but something comes out of your mouth, you're like, wow, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Right. And, you know, you hope that the people around you, you know, give you that latitude or just let that, you know, stupid comment, you know, blow by. And if you do, life is so much easier because yeah. you might carry that comment for months and the other person isn't even aware they said it. That happens to me a lot. I say things I think they're funny, but somebody may not find them funny. And then I find out like four years they've been carrying this thing that I said, you know, hurt their feelings or like that girl that called me that she knew me in kindergarten said I bullied her. Oh, jeez. You know? I didn't right. even know I bullied her. I mean, I apparently made some yeah. sneaky comment. And, and, you, and you know, another aspect of it is that um, and I tell the story in the book, I was giving a workshop in Northern California, and one woman in the workshop, in, in the middle of the thing, she suddenly had this very kind of shocked look on her face. And, uh, and, and she told me afterward, she said, I suddenly realized that the thing that I've been carrying around as the fundamental wound, the central emotional wound of my whole life, was, which was something that a friend did to me early, early on, I realized it actually never happened that way. And I've been carrying this around for nothing. Well, there and you know you, what? We're and you know what? Even, Hold on, even I gotta it, take us to commercial break. Okay. We'll have to have you back. There's so much to cover, but I want to give people the opportunity to get your book, Fearless. Or is it fearless or fearless? Fearless. Two words. Because Super. it's too much work to try to be fearless. No one's fearless. You just fear less, and then things are already better. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.